Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest is Stephen Biggs. He's a horticulturist, a journalist, host of the award-winning Food Garden Life Show, and is a former horticulture instructor at George Brown College and at Durham College in Canada. So we're going to talk about his work in horticulture and particularly growing figs in you know, the climate he's in. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Richard. Nice to be here. Yeah, I guess figs are a pretty ancient crop. I guess they're mentioned in you know, the Bible and that they've been grown for thousands of years. You know, How did you get into growing figs? I, as a kid, the only figs I ever had were the the dried figs. And we had one neighbor who was from Malta who always talked about his fig tree. So I was aware that people trying to grow them in cold climate. But then when I was a student studying horticulture, I spent a summer working at a nursery in the UK. And this nursery had the UK National Collection of Figs, if you can believe that there's such a thing. So that was my first real exposure to fresh figs because we'd walk around the greenhouse and eat figs and there were all these different varieties of figs. So that got me excited about growing figs. That was my first exposure. I guess that there's something funny. If you dream about figs, there'll be figments of your imagination. I love it. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I started at, at one point growing figs here in Toronto. And I do a lot of talk as a horticulturist. So uh, one day I was giving a talk and I took a fig tree as just as a door prize for the people that were hosting this event. And then the person who won the fig tree came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, I could have sold that thing 10 times over. And I was a bit surprised about how much interest there was in this fig tree here in a cold climate, but there was. So that really set me down the road to teaching more people about this. Well, what was your experience with eating the non-dried figs, the fresh ones? What's the difference? So a fresh fig for somebody who hasn't had one, it's almost jam-like, so it, it's um, succulent and uh, usually very, very sweet. It's a bit like apples, Richard, in that there's all sorts of different flavors. Some are more sweet and more berry-like. Some might be a little bit more date-like and really sweet. But anyway, it's a juicy thing, really sweet, a nice mouthfeel, and I'd liken it to jam. For those who've never had a fresh fig, that's the way I'd start thinking about it. A mouthful of jam. What's the difference between figs and dates? Well, they're two entirely different plants, so that the date comes from a palm. And I've only ever had dried dates. I know that I see fresh ones for sale here in Toronto, but certainly they're two entirely different plants. So I can't really tell you too much about date because it's not something that, that I grow or know a whole lot about, other than it's a very different plant. Why the interest in figs, and especially cold climate ones? Well, that, uh, that summer job piqued my interest, and then... As I grew them, I just got to love the taste of them. And then as I was saying that, the event that I was at, when I saw the interest, well, let's let's teach more people how to do this and how to grow these figs in cold climates. Because here where I am in Toronto, and for those who are gardeners and speak in terms of hardiness zones, I'm in a USDA hardiness zone 5. Figs are not hardy. But uh, the neat thing is, 
not as difficult as you might think to keep a fig tree through the winter in a climate like this because a fig tree goes dormant and when it's dormant it's dropped its leaves and, and it can be somewhere cold and dark. You just can't take our winter extreme. Does it look dead in the winter by the way to the untrained eye? Yeah well if you imagine the winter landscape where trees just drop their leaves so you have these naked trees that's what your fig tree is going to look like. It'll have dropped all its leaves. Well, how many years does it take until uh, a new replanted, you know, fig seed turns into a tree where it bears figs? Oh, you've asked a, a really good question because we don't reproduce from seeds. And back to the comparison with apples, if you grow an apple from a seed, it's never like the apple it came from. So people actually reproduce apples, they, they clone them, they graft them. And so with figs, what we do, because if you grow a seed, you never know what you're getting. What we do is we reproduce figs through cutting. So you can take a little piece of a branch and you can root it. And once you've rooted that branch, because it comes from a mature tree, it might actually try to root quite quickly. I've seen a six inch high fig plant trying to root. I usually pinch those off until the tree's a bit bigger. But I guess back to your question is they can fruit while they're still quite small. But how many years? Is it the first year you'll get it or several years? I would wait two or three years and let that tree grow bigger because what happens is if you leave any figs that form on there when it's very small, a lot of the energy from that plant will go into developing the fig, the fruit, at the expense of more branches. And what we want when it's small is just to grow that plant out a little bit bigger. So I advise people to wait two or three years to grow out those plants before they let those figs grow. Okay, so where do figs grow best? And then how do you grow them differently in a cold climate? Yeah, so that's a great question. And figs grow best in full sun. So lots of heat, full sun. A lot of people associate figs with Mediterranean climates because they're grown very widely all around the Mediterranean. But the difference here, of course, in cold climate like Toronto or somewhere like Chicago is that our winters are colder and they're too cold for those figs to survive usually. But the fig can take some cold after it goes dormant. And so all we need to do is to just moderate that cold temperature extreme. So we don't have to give it a hot greenhouse. You don't have to give it a bright sunny window in the house where it's warm. A lot of people will let their fig tree, and often people grow them in pots in cold climates, they might let it go dormant and drop its leaves and then put it into a garage where the temperature maybe dip down just a little bit below freezing for the winter. But that's one way of doing it. Fun one, and I suspect some of your listeners might have heard of this if they've had neighbors from, from especially from Mediterranean areas, a lot of people will actually tip over a fig plant for the winter. So they chop the roots loose on one side and then lay that tree flat to the ground, cover it with soil or insulation. And once you do that, the, the temperature of the ground doesn't shift around as much as the air temperature. So now you've moderated the winter cold and your fig tree can survive in a cold climate. You've cut off some of the roots, but not all of them? Well, exactly. Not die. It's such a good question. Really, the fig tree is a very vigorous tree, so it will tolerate you going in there and chopping off some of those roots. And so if you can imagine chopping off the roots about halfway around and you're left with a hinge of roots on the other side and you just tip that tree over. When you prune the roots on any plant, it slows down the growth of the, the top of the plant, of the branches. But, but that's fine in a cold climate because ultimately you don't want too huge a fig tree. You can only tip over a fig tree of a certain size. So the ones I keep in my backyard 
I keep them six to eight feet high and I don't want them any bigger than that because then they're just too big to manage through this whole tipping over process. I don't think the answer to this makes sense, but do the roots ever correspond to particular branches? Like this root is this branch or they all just go into the trunk and then it just gets evenly distributed throughout the branch tree. Oh, that's an interesting question. No, uh, it all just goes into the trunk and gets distributed from there. Okay. So you cut, what, like half of the roots, let's say, or just enough to hinge it down and oh, cover it with dirt? I chop around about halfway around, a little ways out from the trunk, maybe a foot away. And so you're cutting away about half of the root. And then when you, once you, you lay it flat to the ground. Now, what I like to do is just cover it with bales of straw because I use a lot of straw in my garden. I have straw bales around. So that's a, an excellent insulator, but some people will cover it with soil, maybe put a board over top and then cover that with soil. Some people actually dig a trench and tip the tree into a trench, then cover it with a board and soil. And if you're putting it lower down, like in a trench, it'll be a little bit more insulated. Though in a colder climate, a zone colder than mine, that's probably a good move because you're giving more protection to that tree over the winter. What if you, I don't know, had compost around, you know, where the fig tree was? It wasn't in contact with the fig tree, but it was around it, like, let's say, in a circle, I don't know, six inches high or something, or a foot high, you know, like a compost ring around it. Would that generate enough heat? Maybe it'll stave off the winter's effect? No. It's a good thought, because uh, you bring up a good point that as compost decomposes, it can give off heat. But it's not so much that lower portion of the tree right by the ground where you get branches dying back from the cold, because often there's snow at that level that insulates your tree. It's higher up, especially, where branches will die back. So it's a good thought, but no. But however, sort of going off on a tangent, thinking about using heat like you're thinking, I have heard of a guy here in Toronto who puts a wooden frame over his big tree. He keeps it, I don't know, six feet high, and he has this wooden box insulated with sheet of foam, slides that over top of his fig for the winter, and then he has a heating cable in there. One of those ones people use to keep the ice out of their gutters. And on the coldest of night, he can plug that in, give a gentle heat to that fig, and that gets it through a harsh winter. So there's so many different ways that people approach this overwintering, so many different ways of just moderating those extreme cold temperatures. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Have you ever used like a white peony, you know, a submerged greenhouse? No, but I love one. In fact, my daughter is an avid gardener too, and she keeps saying, Dad, when are you building me that greenhouse? And uh, I've 
talk to people who have those. And there was one guy in Nebraska growing lemons and figs in one of those pit greenhouses on the plains where you get these really cold winters. But they do beautifully because there's a lot of sun. That kind of greenhouse often gets cooler in the winter, which is fine for lemons and figs. So so it's a good question. Maybe if you interview me again in five or 10 years, I'll have one of those and I can tell you more about it. Yeah, that'd be really cool. So what are you selling figs commercially or are you just doing it for your own homestead? Like, what are you just experimenting with them? Like, what's the use? So I grow figs just for my family, friends, and neighbors. And what I do is I'm a writer, I'm a communicator. So I'm trained in horticulture and I've got a, a mixed bag of communications that I work on. So I blog, I podcast, I teach a lot. And one of the courses I teach is about growing figs in cold climates. I have a couple books about it. So my passion is really on the communication side of growing figs. I don't know, do you look for many recipes or every possible use of figs? Yeah, because this seems like a very niche type of thing to eat. And I wonder how many people would eat enough of them where they're like, all right, it's a novelty, but I'm sick of them now. <laughs> Good question. So a lot of people make big jam. And if you have a big harvest of figs, that's a great way to preserve them. Some people I talk to freeze them and then pull them out and use them in baking through the winter. Some people I've talked to make like a Christmas type pudding with eggs. So a baked pudding is another way to do it. I was just talking to somebody who made something called spoon sweets. It's more like a Greek and a Balkan dessert with figs that are still a bit unripe and you cook them in a syrup. And uh, so that's another way you can use them. So there's lots of ways you can use them. But my preference is I love that fresh fruit. I think it's beautiful if you get a fresh fig. So if I have my choice, I'll eat them fresh over cooked any day. Okay. So where are you? Are you going to be adding other fruits you're growing and writing or you know, is there I don't know, is the world of figs uh, big enough or big enough to keep writing about it? Well, so what happened with figs after I wrote my first book about figs is a lot of people got in touch with me and they wanted to trade. And I was I was telling you how you can reproduce figs from just a cutting, a piece of branch. So people just mail these through the mail. And so we'd be mailing these cutting. And I ended up with 50 fig varieties. So my family said, you know, enough's enough. We can't even get in the garage in the winter. You got to have fewer fig trees. So I still have a lot, but I'm not getting any more fig trees at this point. But I do have lots of other things I have fun growing. So I grow olives here in Toronto and uh, I grow lemons. I have some other citrus too. There's a fun one that's very popular in some Asian cuisine, like uh, Japanese and Korean cuisine, the yuzu citrus is another one I grow. None of those are hardy, but they're all like the fig in that they're not that hard to get through the winter if you're creative. And then I do lots of fruit right in the garden, things that are hardy here in Toronto too. I grow pawpaw, which is a native North American fruit. And for those who don't know, pawpaw looks a little bit like a mango. Just It's got this very creamy texture. It's just a beautiful fruit that you never find for sale at grocery stores. So I've got that. Pawpaw, like, like papaya? Is it a tropical fruit or what is it? Oh, good question. So it's they're entirely different. So what some people call pawpaw, the papaya that's, that's grown in the tropic, is entirely different from this native North American pawpaw. I don't know how they ended up with the same name, but they're entirely different. So the one I'm thinking of looked more like a, a small mango. It's a fun one. And for those who are interested in native plants and interested in growing food, definitely look it up because uh, it's a smaller tree. So you can fit them into a wide variety of landscapes. I just love it.
I have one with some of the obscure fruit too. This uh, fruit that was popular in the Middle Ages called a medlar. And this little round hard fruit, just it's hard as a rock when you pick it in the fall. And you actually have to let it sit and soften. There's a verb specifically for that, to blet, B-L-E-T, you blet your medlar. So uh, in fact, I was just cooking my medlars into jam today because they've been bletting since October. So I've got a, a bunch of... That'll be a good bumper sticker for you. Let your medlars, laddie. Like, what does that mean? That could be a very fun bumper sticker. Maybe I need to get into some merch too. And it's be funny. Yeah, if you had a shirt that says "Bled Your Medlars," people think that might be well, very good. Oh, are there trees or fruits that uh, you're interested in? Like you said, yuzu. Any others that you're looking that are exotic or maybe don't normally grow in your climate that you want to import and see if you can grow? Well, an- another one where I just had my first harvest this fall. I just cooked it up this past week. It's a relative the yuzu. It's another citrus. It's called sudachi. And like the yuzu, it got this incredibly fragrant rind. And so I cooked up my uh, sudachi this past week. I'm also uh, big on the berries and the small fruits because I'm in an urban area. So I'm a, a city gardener. And in teaching other city gardeners what to grow, it's important to find things that don't get too big. Not everybody has space for for big trees. So a lot of the bush cherries into the the June berries or Saskatoons, we call them here. There's uh, something called honeyberry or um, hascap, which is a a small fruit often grown in Saskatchewan here in Canada. And that's where they originally bred them. So those are examples of some other ones that I like. And those are small plants that are really good for urban home gardens. And a lot of people are interested in this idea of making an edible landscape. So rather than just having shrubberies, things you can't eat, weaving in some of these fruiting plants. So I'm, I'm really passionate about that. Yeah, that's really cool. Have you found anyone that I've asked a bunch of people in the agriculture, horticulture, etc. No one seems to know or has tried to accelerate the growth of fruits, you know, instead of having to wait two or three years. Has anyone tried to find a method to do it in one? To speed up the growth. I'm just thinking on ways that you might do that. I haven't heard any stories that are coming to mind there, Richard. I'm not sure what to say. That's a a good question. You know, in greenhouse crops, sometimes what they do is they'll add CO2. It's almost like a fertilizer. It speeds up the growth of those greenhouse crops. And you can do that in an enclosed environment like a greenhouse. But in an outdoor setting, I'm not sure. Nothing's coming to mind there. So if you look at a tree, has anyone developed software where you can put in the number of branches and the approximate thickness and it calculates for you the nutrient distribution? So it would be like maybe like a pruning software. tells you where to prune to maximize, you know, the fruits that you're getting. Wow. You know, I don't know. That's a, a good question. I don't know if there's that kind of software. Certainly, maybe in a commercial sense, there could be a, a use for that. I think in a home setting, like what I'm doing, it's easy enough to learn. Once you do it a few times, I always tell people just with pruning, get a bit of knowledge, but then get in there and prune. And by doing it, you really become comfortable. And after a while, you can see, okay, here's where I need to prune. Here's the best spot. Yeah. What are some of the nuances of pruning? Maybe a new person wouldn't know. Well, the the first thing to know is whether what you're pruning is making fruit on wood that's a year old or on new wood. And and because that'll affect what you prune off. And so for let's let's jump back to our fig plant. Figs can produce fruit on both new and old wood. And so there's these figs that come here in Toronto, it's July, or sometime midsummer these figs that form on wood from the previous year. And then there's also a second fig crop on a lot of the plants that comes in the fall on new wood from that season. And so 
when you're pruning, you want to keep in mind that these different crops are forming on wood that's a different age. So for example, if you in the fall prune back a fig tree really heavily, you might not get any of those early figs that are forming on wood from the previous year. So that's a key thing to understand is where is that fruit forming? So how many years will a fig tree bear fruit? They can be long-lived, though I would think of them in the home gardening sense. You can think of these as a family heirloom. And I know people who pass on their fig trees to the next generation. So I've got one of my kids is really excited about figs. So I've said to him, you're the fig apprentice. These are all yours when I'm gone. They're family heirloom. And how so they can produce figs, what, after 30, 50 years, 100 years, how long? It's a good question. I don't know how long tree will go. But they are long-lived trees, so they'll outlive me. And I think maybe coming back to your question, how long will it root? It'll partly depend on how you keep that tree. So if you're diligent about pruning it and, and trimming the roots and giving it fresh soil, it's going to go for a very long time. Have you t Can you taste any difference between the figs that come from a really old, let's say like a 20-year-old tree versus one that's only three years old? And on the same tree, you know, if you have old wood versus new wood and you have old wood that has been there for 20 years and it still produces figs and there's new wood that just this past year grew and what's the difference in the fig composition or taste? And so the fig tree produces its figs on only the year old or the new wood. So it's not making figs on that, say that 20 year old wood like you were mentioning. So it's only on the new wood and the year old wood. And interestingly, I was mentioning how there's an earlier crop on last year's wood and then a later crop on the new wood. And sometimes those two different crops on the very same plant might look different and actually taste different. They might be different color or different size. So that's a very interesting feature of the fig is that these two different crops can be quite different. So what do you do when you prune it then? I mean, after a while, you'd have the tree would be mostly full of old wood. New branches would need to go somewhere. So does it tend to grow upwards or outwards or both? And how do you still keep it producing, but not to, you know, tear apart all the old wood? They grow up and out continuously. And in fact, if you leave a fig without pruning it, it can become quite a tangle of branches. And so what you do is you, you prune back strategically. So you are leaving some branches who get you your figs, but you are also pruning out some. So pruning fruit trees in general, we prune out some of the branches so that there's space between the different branches. And that allows good air circulation. So there's less chance of disease. You get a little bit more light going in there, which can be helpful for ripening. And so, yes, so you are pruning your fig tree every year. So I don't want to give the impression that you you don't prune it. You'll be pruning it every year, which, which is the case with most fruiting plants is when you prune them regularly, you can optimize how much fruit you get from them every year. But when you do these cuttings to grow other fig trees, can you do a cutting off of old wood or new wood? You can do it from both. That's a good question. So you can take that new wood of the season that's still a bit green. You can root that. You can root wood that's a year old. You can even take wood that's older than that and, and root it. I find that the year old wood gives me about the best results. Sometimes those green cuttings, they're a little bit more tender. Maybe there's a bit more chance of rot. So, but you can root new wood, old wood. And speaking of that, there's something fun to mention. If uh, some of the listeners are familiar with the term air layering, it's a fun thing to do. And what that means is partway up the stem, you can wrap some damp peat moss or potting soil around the stem. And usually people will 
wrap it tight within a plastic bag or something. So you've got this damp soil touching the stem and the stem will usually send a root. And once it has, then you can cut off that particular stem or branch and you've created a new plant. So that's called air layering. And figs respond to that really well. So I've known people who, whenever I visit them, they've got two or three air layers on the go and they'll say, oh yeah, I'm just making a plant for my neighbor, Frank. And here's one for Joe. Well, when you're doing the pruning, isn't that the perfect time to then take the branches you're going to take off anyway? Well, first air layer them, then bring them, and then use it to make more trees. It seems like that would be the best time to do it, best way out. Exactly, yeah. So you can uh, air layer them, and then when it's pruning time, you can cut those off and pot them up. Have you tried to grow a new fig tree from like really old wood versus new wood? Seen any differences? I think I've rooted wood that's three or four years old, and that's about as as old as I've rooted because they, they get thicker and thicker. So at a certain point, it's just less practical. Yeah. But I mean, do you think there'd be any difference? You know, maybe you should try like a 20 year old one and see if you can, if you could root it and see what it does differently if anything. Yeah. I've never tried it. It just becomes a bit less practical from a rooting perspective because you got this big thing you're trying to cut off. So yeah. So I, I, I don't know the answer to that one, Richard. Well, I'm rooting for you to successfully do it someday. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, any other ways to grow them or supplements you add to the soil or things you can do, you know, varying shade, illuminating them at, at night, et cetera, to change the nature of the things that come off of them dramatically? Well, I think the key thing to tell people who are in cold areas trying to grow figs is that the hard part isn't necessarily getting it through the winter. I've been explaining different ways I do it. Sometimes it's more of a challenge just to get that second crop of figs to ripen colder climate because the limiting factor to them ripening is usually season length and heat. And so it makes it really important to plant them somewhere where there's as much heat as possible. So if you think of a, a south-facing uh, wall on a house against a south-facing wall, you get lots of sun hitting that wall. There's a reflected light. There's also heat absorbed by the wall. That kind of situation can be really beneficial to a fig and getting it to ripen. And then another thing that's quite important too is picking a variety that's suited to a cold climate. So there are some wonderful fig varieties out there that might be great in places like California or Italy, but they might not be ideal for a cold climate because it takes longer for that second crop to ripen and we just don't have enough time in a cold climate. So variety is important. Picking a location that's really Warm is important too. What about heat during the beginning of the season versus the end of the season? You know, if it's artificially applied, like you're you're heading into fall, and you know it's just not going to be hot for very long. You know, any have you experimented with giving a blast to heat for a mm. period of time to see if that does anything for the winter? Yeah, you bring up a great point. So first of all, in the spring, if you give extra heat to wake up that fig tree earlier that can be good. And the key thing is that once it starts growing, it is can be harmed by frost. So if you're giving it heat to wake it up early, you want it to be somewhere protected. Like people often make a temporary shelter around a fig tree, like a temporary greenhouse, so that if there is a frost, it's protected, it's getting a bit of extra heat. So it starts growing sooner anyway. So uh, extend the season at the beginning. And then like you were saying, heat in the fall to extend the ripening time. Again, I've seen people do things like 
put a, a temporary greenhouse over their fig tree to extend that fall ripening window. Or if it's a, a potted fig tree, sometimes people will just wheel it into the garage on cold days and then wheel it back out when there's warm weather because it's quite common in the fall that you might get a bit of cold weather, but then you get another spell of warm weather. It can keep growing. Okay. Any other tips or tricks that uh, some people are experimenting with on figs and fig trees? Well, you mentioned the uh, the pit greenhouses, the wallapinis. I think that's a really fun one. I'm excited about that. And I guess the other thing just is that there are so many varieties out there. The flavor profile can go from date to berries, different colors, different sizes. So if somebody loves collecting, you could really get carried away and have a lot of fun collecting fig trees. Oh, are there any uh, cover crops? What are fig trees like nitrogen fixers? You know, do you have to rotate anything in to keep them healthier? If you're growing it in a pot, then all of the nutrients really will come from whatever you feed it with. And so it's really important with potted figs to feed them. And you talk to 10 different fig growers, you'll probably come away with 10 different recipes. And some people add animal manures into the potting soil. Other people will apply fertilizers. But I think the key point is that with a potted fig, like with any potted plant, you need to feed it. Now, with an in-ground fig tree, they do have root systems that go quite away. And so they can, in a decently fertile soil, you can do very well without feeding them at all and without fertilizing. And all I do in my garden is I make compost from the leaves that fall. I spread that around the garden. I guess if you had a very impoverished soil, you can do a bit more than that. But the, the key point would be that figs have fairly extensive root systems, so they're good at scavenging water and nutrients. Well, very good. So what's the best way for people to learn more about you know fig trees and growing them and maybe to get started? Where can they go? Yeah, thanks for asking. I've got lots of articles about figs on my blog, all about how to grow them, what to do in the winter, and it's at foodgardenlife.com. Okay, very good. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's an unusual niche topic, but a very good call. So thank you. Hey, thanks, Richard. Uh, Delighted to talk about it. And thanks for your interest. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.